0: Last week, I had mentioned to you um, in the Scripture in Colossians chapter 3 how we as children of God have been risen with Christ in God, that our lives would live to the glory of God. I want to take us back to the very beginning, literally the very beginning, to see that that was the intended purpose that God had for us and has for us from the beginning. And to look at that phrase... And what that means for us as children of God striving to glorify His name and reach the gospel into this world. With that said, many of you had Bible studies, you've read Genesis chapter 1 so many times. It's probably one of the most read chapters in all the Bible, by the way. You know how I know that? Because everyone starts their year of Bible reading. In Genesis chapter one. <laughs> so it's probably the most well read uh, chapter in all the, the books of Scripture. And so we're looking at that phrase. In fact, this is a phrase that actually led to someone becoming a Christian. Uh, Miss Vesta Bradley. I remember when Levi was about two years old, he went with me uh, along with the kids back then when I would go to the nursing home for all these Bible studies. And I remember Miss Vesta, before she was a Christian, she called one day and asked for um, a meeting and never met her before then. And it was based upon this verse. And she said, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, who's the us? And it's as if I had an opportunity like Stephen had with the eunuch, where where she was at in her life, just as was mentioned um, this morning, dealing with people where they're at in their lives, she was with that question, led to Christ. And she only lived for a couple of years um, because her health was so poor, but glorious years because it was through that experience that that when she went right into the nursing home, um, she would share the gospel with everyone that she could. And when I say everyone, we had Bible studies in the nursing home, 30 plus, uh, I mean, women 107 years old coming to to study the scriptures, it was really encouraging. And so anyway, I just, I remember that very clearly and it was a very edifying time in my life um, studying the scriptures with her. So again, Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image. Have you ever asked yourself, what really does that mean? I know I've asked it a number of times myself, what is that supposed to mean in our image? Are we uh, spirit like God? And of course, we are. You know, can we uh, reason like him, and all these different things? And well, look at the phrase. It is understood that the word "image" of God is the very word "sedek" in the Hebrew is the very word for the word "idol." So you're talking about an image, right? So you look at that idol, and of course, man makes idols, and, and it's in the image of whatever they want to make. And so we see various idols all throughout the world. In Hawaii, we call them tikis, right? And those idols would represent certain gods that you would have. Well, no different than way back when, when you had the various images of Baal and so on and so forth, Astarte, uh, the goddess Diana. So you have these idols, but those idols are images that represent Something or someone and the word in Genesis chapter 3 in Greek is the word similitude So the word um, Image, it's similar not exactly the very thing. It's not identical So when God is saying let's make man in our image. He's saying we're gonna make man in a similitude of us someone who is similar And fashioned after us or according to our likeness. But they're not identical to us. They're not gods. They're human beings. And so they're going to be human beings that would be like us and represent us. And that's where the the concept is given here in Genesis chapter 1. When you read verse 26, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And when we read that, it makes sense as to knowing, okay, we know we're not God, but what does it mean that we are like God when we're made in his image? And here are not an exhaustive list, but you get a a sense of how we are different from all of God's other creations. And just think about this. We can take the Hubble telescope and go as far as we can. And by the way, I think there's a new telescope that's supposed to be a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble telescope coming out. I cannot imagine how much more clarity and more distance we'll be able to see. And guess what? <laughs> I don't think you could even go as far as how large this universe. It seems infinite. seems that way. When, when our galaxy um, that we are in, the Milky Way, is but a speck that is microscopic in the grand scheme of the universe, it's just phenomenal. And so this very God that made this vast universe made us very unique. And think about this. We're the only creation of all of God's creations that have the diverse creative ability to do just that, to create. I mean, Jada is out there every week flying thousands of feet in the sky in things that weigh tons. How in the world is that possible that you can have tons of of heavy metal up in the sky and there's lots and lots of them it's phenomenal and some of you guys who are engineers I know you can give me all the reasons it's still amazing as far as I'm concerned and then we can make all kinds of other things we, we study insects and and other creations and we emulate those character traits that are used for strength like domes um, and, and we go on and, and read about all these other things, and we study those things, and then we build things that are very amazing that we marvel at. We call them the wonders of the world, whether it's huge walls, amazing pyramids, skyscrapers, whatever they are, just phenomenal things, architecturally speaking, whatever it is, whatever realm. And we have that ability. No other creation has that ability. Or the fact that we have emotions. Now I get it. I, I I'm cold hearted many ways when it comes to our animals because I I guess it's because I'm just lazy and stuff. I never want a dog or a cat. We have a dog, we have a cat, we have chicken, we had bunny rabbits, we have <laughs> I'm the sucker in our family <laughs> for all these things. But what I have come to appreciate, even though I grew up with, with animals and stuff as well, I see emotions with animals. Um So this week I killed our one of our little chicks on accident. I stepped on it. Um long story, but it was it was sad. I know. I cried. <laughs> it was my favorite chick. It really was. But I took out my frustration on Lucy, our dog, because Lucy was the reason why I accidentally stepped on the chick. And so Lucy went into the, literally the doghouse in the dog run. And I remember after a day, I let her out of the, the dog run, and her ears were just droopy. I mean, you could tell she was, they have emotions, right? But they don't express their emotions, well, maybe some of you might disagree with me, the way humans can express emotion. And we see scripture that shows us. God made everything. Through Moses, inspired, says, Indeed, behold, everything is very good. He looks at his creation and has satisfaction and fulfillment over what he has made. We see emotion of joy. We see him when he's angry and his wrath comes upon people who rebel against him. We see emotion, and we are just like him in that regard. We see sovereignty. The fact that, that I can have rulership over the things of this world and we see that in genesis chapter one where god gives man the dominion over the rest of creation we see that kind of sovereignty that we're even kings over the king of the jungle i mean we rule over all animals all of other creations even if we are limited in our sovereignty we still have that parallel likeness that we see in god's sovereignty or the fact that we make moral choices. I don't see any creation with that ability to have moral choices. And it is this last part that we're going to see um, expounded upon, particularly in this phrase, image of God. Therein lies this special, unique creation when God says, Let's create man in our image according to our likeness. But something happened, right? <laughs> Because even though God made us in his image, we don't always choose to reflect or represent God by our choices. In Genesis chapter 3, if you fast forward, there's a discussion or a dialogue between Eve and the serpent. And in verse 1, it says that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Has indeed God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's something different about man before the fall. Man did not know good and evil. That's what this tree was. When you partake of this you will be able to, to know good and evil. And that's why Satan is saying you will be like God knowing good and evil. And this phrase with regard to being like God is, is different than what you just read earlier, being made in the image of God. We're talking about being identical, so to speak. Even if you're not God from a standpoint of uh, you know, him being omniscient and what have you, you're going to have this ability like God to know good and evil. What I infer from this is God knows good and evil. Okay, let me me fast forward for some of you that be going, what do you mean by that? He knows good and evil. God only knows good. God can know good and evil without doing evil. You will be like God knowing good and evil. In fact, let me just fast forward. Going on in verse 22, God says, hey, listen, man has become like us knowing good and evil. And so he says, they need to go out of the garden. So this is an area in which man did not have previous to this that he's going to have. And this is the part that we're focusing on with regard to this image of God. Man unlawfully took this knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, he no longer has life. He no longer has access to the tree of life, as we see here in the rest of the scripture in Genesis chapter 3. And that's the problem. There's sin. So now we know good and we also know evil. But the thing is, we're choosing evil. They chose it before there was the knowledge of good and evil. You chose to go against the will of God. Now there's this knowledge of good and evil. And remember, uh, I know it's not in the sermon here, but in Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul said... I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, Don't covet. But by knowing the law and knowing this evil, I had all kinds of temptation to covet. That's this concept here that is brought into man now. And we see just this downward spiral in human affairs. We read in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, very similar to um, Genesis chapter 3, where Here's Eve, and she looks at this fruit that it's good to eat. And she sees, you know, how it would make her to to be wise. And so I can just imagine the typical or stereotypical mind when we choose to go against the very will of God. In my case, there's an exception to the rule because, and I justify myself. Why it's okay that I'm in this situation, I make this choice, whether I give into the flesh, I have the lust of the eyes, or as we are told in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, we have the pride of life. We justify our choices, and we go against the will of God. Thinking, hey, I can explain myself to God. In Mike, everyone else I get, I know what your law is, but for me, I just, and we do that. In the case of Adam and Eve, they're pointing fingers at each other. You know, the woman you gave me, her fault. Oh, Satan, he's the one that made me do it, and so on and so forth this is the problem if we get to the point where we cannot own our sins it doesn't help us to turn to the Lord or to walk with him but when we can own our sins then we can be as the apostle says in Romans chapter 7 verse 24 "O wretched man that I am the one that says Lord I love you I love your laws I don't always do it I hate sin I really despise sin. I'm guilty of sinning. Who's going to deliver me now? Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? And that's where Romans chapter 8 comes in. Well, in fact, the last part of chapter 7, we give thanks to God through Jesus Christ. Because he gives us that salvation that we can walk with him and we can be saved from our sins Because of his sacrifice and so when we're looking at the text here in in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 about being made in the image of God we we blow it we don't reflect we don't represent who God is and what he has for us when we choose our own will and not his will we we desire we justify and as a result we sin and so we need God who comes in the likeness of men. Now, that, this is the, you want to call it an irony? I call it the infinite wisdom of God. Where God now is going to come in the likeness of man. And he's going to walk among men, live, be tempted in every which way that we are. And that's what we see. In Hebrews chapter 1, when you open your text to that passage of scripture, um, the Hebrew writer starts the, the letter. And I think I want to get this principle here that that is very important for us to understand this phrase in light of our walk with the Lord. Because we see something very specific and unique about Jesus. God, who at various times in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. In other words, way back when you had prophets. And God spoke to us through them. He has in these last days spoken to us By his son. So before he had prophets, now the son of God comes and he speaks to us. And here is who he is. He he is the one who is appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. I'm reading out of the New King James translation. This phrase is used in other Bible translations, the express image, the exact representation, the exact imprint, the very character of God. Here is God who's come in the flesh. And when you see Jesus, you're seeing not just the image of God, but the very perfect image of God, not just the likeness. You're actually seeing God, so to speak, even though you're looking at the sun. He is the visible representation of an invisible God. Who is dwelling among men. That's who Jesus Christ is. And when we're looking at this phrase that he is the exact representation. So that everything that God um, stands for, believes in, represents. That's what you're seeing in Jesus Christ. Bar none. Not one thing less. Now. For all that we can read in Scripture, and there's a lot of passages we could, we could focus on, Jesus knew good and evil. We see his temptation in the wilderness. We studied it when we're studying on the Holy Spirit, like we did this morning, or last week we studied in, in Matthew chapter 4. Um, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He is seeing good and evil, but he always chose good. He would say, thus it is written, thus it is written, thus it is written. Over and over to Satan. And so he's tempted in every which way that we are, we're told in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, and yet is without sin. That's because he's not only man, we see, we see God. So we see the human side and we see the God side, if you will. But the bottom line is Jesus chose what was right, What is what we call righteousness. And we're seeing the image of God through Jesus Christ, a perfect example. And so because of that and the fact that here is Jesus who came into this world to die on the cross for our sins, we get to see through the life of Christ what we should have been from the very beginning, how we should behave, how we should live as we live our lives. And that's why we're told in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that when he had, well, we're told later, not in Hebrews 1, 3, that he purged himself um, of our sins. Our sins were taken away by him, and he sits down at the right hand of God, Hebrews 1, verse 3, and as a result then, he says, Jesus is higher and greater than any of God's other creations. You need to follow him. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He perfects your faith. And when you do that, we can go to a passage like now in Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 following, and we can read of how we are supposed to be made in his image, in his likeness. We're told, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, um, how we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto every good work. And when we do that, we are actually reflecting the image of God. It is later on in this very letter that the apostle Paul Pictures all these believers as a household unit, as a church, as a nation of wonderful believers who reflect the glory of God. That's who we are, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. In Matthew chapter 5, in very similar writing, he says, you know, with regard to his disciples, that you are a city set up on the hilltop, hilltop, so let your light shine So that the world may see your good works and give glory to God or glorify him, depending on translation. That's who we're supposed to be. We are image bearers of Jesus Christ, who is the exact representation of God. When we live this way, now we see the ramification. We see what it was supposed to be like in the garden. That we can be creative about all that we do, not for the flesh, but for the glory of God. Our emotions can be expressed where we give praise to God or we build each other up. We, we, Well, we're loving and kind to each other. That's what it's supposed to have been like. Not where you see Cain striking Abel, but the very opposite. Lifting him up rather than bringing him low to the earth and shedding blood. All of these things reflect on how we're supposed to live our lives. So when God said, let us make man in our image, this is what God had always intended. And this is what God has for us for all of eternity. So I want to ask you, do you live your life as if you reflect and represent God? I'm not saying, are you perfect? That's not what I'm saying. Because we know none of us are going to be perfect reflecting because otherwise we wouldn't need Jesus. But is your life one in which you are reflecting and representing who God made you to be in Christ Jesus? Brethren, if the answer is no, we have something called repentance. (laughs) Change. Humble yourself. And you'll bring glory to God. And people are going to see a change in you. They'll notice it. It'll be very stark. Not only that, you get to bring them to Christ so that their lives can be changed so that they have the opportunity to be reflections of our holy God. And notice the fellowship and unity and the joy that we would have that is found in Jesus Christ. Last week, as we were talking about the fact that we are raised with Christ in God, that's that concept of resurrection, And because of our quote-unquote fall, our sin that brings us separation with our God, being baptized into Christ, buried with him, actually unites us back to him. Because we die with Christ and we're raised to walk in newness of life with him as well. That's a reflection given in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, that you can have, If you want to put on Christ, if you want to live in this new kingdom that's a citizenship that is otherworldly, it is heavenly. You can have that right now. If you need to return to the Lord, we'd be happy to pray for you. Please make it known. And we would do that right now. together we stand and sing.